what does happiness look like to you? Maybe to ask it another way, if, if, you, if you were perfectly happy, where would you be and, and what would you be doing? What, what, is, what does happiness look like? You ever think about questions like that? What, what does a happy life look like for you? And for some of us, I mean, culture teaches us to think about this in, in certain ways, right? Like, um, some of you, I'm going to guess, perhaps have an image of, like, you're on a beach, your happy place, and you're, you're sipping a drink, and the, the waves are, are just, you know, gently lapping against the shore. And anybody, this is your, your happy place, like, not a care in the world, you're on the beach, and it's just beautiful and, and wonderful. Okay, all right, some, some of you. Or, or how about this, like happy is being at a, at a house on the lake or a, or a cabin in the mountains, surrounded by all the people you love. Again, not a care in the world. Life is just good. Anybody, anybody this is your happy place? Actually, that's probably, probably one of my happy places. Maybe yours is, is something entirely different. What's your happy place? When I think, when I think of these visions of happiness or how we often are sort of led to define our happy place. I, I end up with these questions. Like, when we answer that way, and, and like I would say that, you know, the mountain, the cabin, not a care in the world, that's a happy place. But then, is that really happiness? I mean, is that the secret to happiness, getting what you want and being where you want to be and and not having a care in the world, like, is, is that really happiness? Because I find my, myself asking, like, life on the beach without a care in the world, that sounds really good, but can I ever really be happy with that, with that life, knowing that there's a kid on the other side of the island that can't even imagine no care in the world because they, they're starving some days and can't even find food to put on their table? Can that be happiness? Or, or to think about that happy place in the, in the mountains, I mean, it, it sounds really, really great, but, but could I really be happy there while on the other side of the world, people and families are being torn apart by war and, and girls are returning to a world in their lives where they're abused and, and raped and, and subservient? Like, what... What is happiness? Is it just personal? Is it, is it just something I'm trying to obtain on my own? Is it, is it just a feeling, how I feel, whether I feel happy or not? As long as I'm good and, and, and everything's good in my life, then I'm happy. It doesn't matter if the world is burning down around me. Or is, is happiness something else? Is it, there's something more to it. And some of you are probably here like, I didn't, I didn't want to ask all these questions this morning. <laughs> Do we really have to think so hard? It's, it's kind of a good question, isn't it? What, what is happiness? What makes us happy? Because today, today for a few minutes in our Trees and Gardens series, we're going to explore Psalm 1, the very first psalm. And one translation of the very first line of that psalm is, happy is the one Happy is the one. What does that mean? Let's pray. God, may these words and our thoughts all ultimately be to your glory. 
May our hearts be filled to overflowing in this day with your love. And Lord, may we be moved in this time together today to carry forth your word as a light to our world. Amen. So, uh, speaking of happy places, do any of you have a memory from your childhood, a happy memory of your childhood of a tree? Just think for a moment. Any, any trees come up in memories from your childhood? I remember this, uh, this tree house that was in front of our, our friends Jeff and Julie's house. And uh, uh, just across the street from their house, kind of between their house and then a, a berm that led over to the highway, there was this huge tree, like, and I don't remember, probably oak or, or maple, but it, you couldn't reach your arms around the trunk. I mean, it was, it was gigantic. And it split right up about probably eight to ten feet up. It split, uh, and, uh, and there was a great landing pad right in the middle. And so we had put... Um, uh, essentially wooden stair steps up that tree and climbed up. And then we hauled up uh, plywood and anything we could. So we built a platform up there um, and then a little lean-to over the platform. And then we told our parents we were going to spend the night in that tree house. And they said, no. Which, thinking back, like, I can't imagine one of us surely would have, like, rolled over in the night and just fallen. Um, so we built a, uh, a, a two-room two clubhouse underneath with uh, one, one of the dads was a, a carpet, and so we had carpet in there, and, and we had a, a kid that knew quite a bit, and so we constructed it out of leftover plywood that we had at our parents' houses. It was really cool. And then we said, now can we sleep under the tree? And they said, yes. And then it rained, and uh, we didn't really think about, like, rain and uh and the carpet got all wet and that was the end of uh that was the end of spending the night we kept the clubhouse but that was the last time we spent the night there some of you have heard me say before like like maybe you have your own memories of trees but and and i don't know if it's just that but i find trees amazing and and fascinating and beautiful and and if we start this conversation a lot of people have some kind of memory that's related to trees in their childhood which then can help it make sense did you know that uh, that trees are mentioned in the Bible more than any other living things next to human beings. Over a thousand times trees appear in the pages of the Bible. A thousand different references to trees. You can't flip open your Bible and, and flip a few pages if you're reading carefully without finding some kind of reference to trees. We talked a few weeks ago about the, the trees in Genesis and in Revelation and their meaning in the story. Noah's Ark was built from what? Trees, right? Abraham learned that he was going to have a son in his old age under an oak tree. Talk about a nice family memory of a, of a tree. The, uh, the early temple was built out of cedar trees. The walls, it says, were built and filled in with cedar, which always makes me think, have any of you ever been in a cedar closet or have a cedar closet at home? Like, how good must it have smelled in that temple, right? Trees of the Bible. There's a tree of wisdom in, in Proverbs. Jesus, when you read through the teachings of Jesus, Jesus uses trees in all kinds of different ways to, to teach different things. And if any of you grew up in Sunday school or, or VBS like I did, you, you may know a little song about a wee little man named Zacchaeus and the sycamore tree that he climbed, right? 
And then we shouldn't talk about trees. We, we can't really talk about trees in the Bible and then, and then not mention that Jesus was nailed to a tree, right? The cross was made of, of trees. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for tree and, and for wood is the same. Whenever you, whenever you see the, the word, it, it can mean tree or wood, but it's the, it's the same word because, of course, wood comes from trees. The cross was made of a, was made of a tree. You see, God, God uses trees in so many ways to, to teach us about who God is and, and about who we are. And sometimes those lessons are subtle, and sometimes those lessons, I think, make us ask more questions like the fig tree, which we're actually going to explore next week. And sometimes the Bible presents like direct similes of trees and humanity, which leads us to Psalm 1 today. I want you to just close your eyes and listen to these words or, or, uh, or watch on the screen and, and take in the words of this, of this psalm. Psalm 1, it's just six verses long. Blessed is the one, or this is sometimes translated, happy is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The psalm, it seems pretty clear on a first read, right? I mean, it says good people read the Bible meditate on, on God's law, and, and then they prosper. And, and bad people, wicked people, says they, they don't follow God's law, and they, and they suffer. That, that makes sense. But is life really that simple? What about the fact that sometimes good people suffer and, and struggle? Probably you have known faithful people who have had incredible trials in their, in their lives. What about the reality that some people read the Bible and, and say they follow it, but they, but they can seem completely unloving and, and selfish? And what about the fact that sometimes really bad actors in our world don't seem to have to suffer consequences sometimes? Is Psalm 1 really this, this simple? Is it just as simple as good people and bad people? Because we'd like it to be. I mean, let, let's be honest. We've, we've seen you know, movies. I don't know about you, but I like the movies where the, ba- the good guy and the bad guy are clear, right? Um, if you go back to the old Western, good guys had white hats on. The, the bad guys had black hats on. It was, it was simple. But is, is our world really that? Is our world really that simple? So let me ask you this question. Have you ever read something and, uh, and thought you understood it, but then you learned more and when you went back and read it again, you realized there were things you didn't see the first time 
because now you, you know more of the context. Or maybe you've seen a, a movie or a play, and, uh, and you thought it had one meaning or, or you took something from it, but then when you read the book that the movie was based on, or, or maybe you read more about the plot of the play, and then you, you, when you saw it again or, or when you thought about it, you realized there were deeper levels of meaning. Let's dig into Psalm 1. So I think that can be true of this psalm as well. Like if we just start just the first line of the psalm. This is a different translation. This is the, the common English Bible. We heard the NIV earlier. The very first one says, the truly happy person, truly happy person, or, or some will say, blessed is the one, or, or happy is the one. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. The, when we think of happy, like the truly happy one or, or the blessed one, we think of a, of a personal feeling or a personal blessing. Like if, if we're blessed, it means that something good has happened to us, right? Or, or when we think of happy, we think of a feeling. Well, we feel happy today, but the word in the Bible for, for happy is much richer than this. It's a, uh, the word is asher, and uh, it holds a, a variety of meanings, but those meanings are all they all have motion in them. It means to move forward, to develop, to, to grow, right? It comes from, from a verb, sure, that means to advance or, or to move somewhere, right? Which means this idea of happiness that we get from Scripture, beginning in the Old Testament, it isn't just about a, a personal feeling. It's about a way of living, that is moving and, and growing towards something, in this case, growing toward, toward Jesus. This isn't just a feeling. It's not just the absence of anxiety or, or problems or grief. Hey, I'm happy because there's nothing, nothing wrong. This is a, a happiness because I'm moving towards something better. A happiness built on growing and in love and, and goodness. Right? Psalm 1 we think of all these self-help books out there, Psalm 1 is inviting us to live into a happy life. And it invites us to do that by, and this takes us to verse 2. It's like, so what is the way? How do we live into this? And uh, in verse 2, the common English translation of this next verse, it says, Instead of doing those things, those things that the wicked do, being disrespectful, mocking people, falling into sin, instead of doing those things, these persons love the Lord's instruction, and they recite God's instruction day and night. If you look at the Bible, lots, lots of people have the NIV translation. In, in the NIV, it says, meditate on God's law day and night. So, w- when some people just read this psalm, they think, okay, so if I, just, if I just sit and I read the Bible every day, like if I just meditate on, on the Bible all day, as many free hours and, and minutes as I have, if I just read the Bible and, and, and maybe even read it out loud, then, then that'll lead to, to this happiness that, that God is talking about, Right? It's a little more nuanced than that, and to, to understand, we, we need a little more background on, on the Old Testament. The, uh, the Jewish Bible, which we know as our Old Testament, um, is, 
organized a little bit differently than our Christian Bible. And it's worth noting as we look at Psalm 1 because of where Psalm 1 falls in that. The, the Jewish Bible has three parts. It has the first five books, the Pentateuch, um, which is sometimes also known as the, the Torah, uh, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, then it has the Nevim, which are the historical and prophetic books of the Christian Old Testament. It begins with, uh, with Joshua, but then it passes all the way through Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and all the prophets. That's the second section of the Jewish Bible. And then there's the third section, which is the Ketuvim. And the Ketuvim are, are the Psalms. It begins with the Psalms and, and the wisdom. It's kind of the, the poetry and the, and the wisdom of the, of the faith. And here's, here's why this can help us understand Psalm 1. So there's the Torah, like God gives Moses this way for the people of God to live into the people he's calling them to be, right? And then the next section of the Jewish Bible is the Nevim, which begins with Joshua. And listen to this at the very beginning of the Nevim. It says this, act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. This book of the law, you shall meditate on it day and night, for then you shall make your way prosperous. Sound familiar? We just read those same words in Psalm 1. It's the same. It says, okay, so you've got the Torah. Now I'm going to give you the history, and I want you to, to filter the history with the Torah in mind to learn and grow. And then Psalm 1, the Ketuvim, beginning of the Ketuvim, uses the same language and again says, you've been given the Torah, now I want to invite you to read the rest of the Psalms to help you learn and, and grow how to become God's people, how to move into becoming God's people. Right? The invitation is not just to read the words and, and be happy. The invitation is to read these words, and not just Psalm 1, but all of the, of the Psalms, to read it and engage, and then not just to passively receive it, but, but to act meaningfully and intentionally towards what God's instruction and teaching and way is. So, lots of times we'll pull out a, a devotion and we'll read Psalm 1 and we'll find meaning in, in Psalm 1, which is great. I mean, that's, that's part of it. But Psalm 1 doesn't stand alone. It's the invitation. It's the introduction to all of the other psalms. It's an invitation to, to read through the rest of them and, and then reflect on how does, this, how does this way of God get lived out? What are, the, what are the glories people experienced in following that way? What are the mistakes that they made? What can we learn from all of these stories and lessons of others about what it looks like to lament and to grieve and to follow the way and to sometimes fall off of the way and return to it and to grow and act with faith in God's promise. These stories and, and histories and, and instructions and poetry, right, they're going to reveal to us that life isn't always simple. Life is not always easy. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good people make mistakes. But those stories and poetry and histories and instructions, they're going to they're gonna show us that right living, living toward a happy life, right, is about following God's way into a relationship 
with the people and the community around us. Psalm 1 is an invitation to start on on a journey, a journey of right living. And that journey of right living isn't just about following laws and then feeling like we've done our part. It's about about living into what God wants for God's people in the community. Psalm 1 ends that talks about the blessing for for righteousness or, or right living. That word for righteousness, when it appears with another word in the Old Testament, it's three times more likely that the word that it appears alongside is justice. Right living and justice are tied throughout the Old Testament. Right living and a just world are tied together. Our happiness and the happiness of others, goodness in the world, are tied together. The invitation of Psalm 1 is to read the other Psalms and and find a way. Not that that way is going to be easy, but that it'll lead to right living. And then, Right up front, it has a warning. Right right up front, it shares this warning. And I I want us to hear this warning today. I kind of want the world to hear this warning from Psalm 1 today. Right, It says, it's going to be really easy to fall, to just fall in with the advice of the world and, and worldly objectives. It's going to be really easy to put all kinds of other things before God in your lives. And it's going to be really easy to join in the judging and mocking of each other instead of building the community of love and justice and care that my people will will stand for and hold. Right, Right in verse 1 is this warning. And the psalm says, The happy one is thus like a tree that is planted by streams of water. It's such a great image. The one who is going to be happy is is like a tree, sturdy and grounded, rooted in fresh streams of water. Think of, the, think of the context of this, right? It's, it's, there's some lush areas along the, along the water, but, but around it is lots of desert. And so, so this image says it's going to get hot sometimes. But it doesn't matter how hot it gets because you're going to be planted by streams of water. And there will be seasons of of dryness. But you don't have to be threatened by those because you are going to be planted by streams of water. There are going to be times when the wind blows and just knocks your life and the lives of those around you here and there. But you don't have to worry because your roots are are going to run deep into streams of living water. You see, happy isn't free of the winds and the dry spells and the heat of life. 
Right? This image reminds us that the heat and the dry spells and the, and the struggles of life, they still happen. Happy is knowing that we can withstand those times in our life because our roots are driven in to living water, into Jesus. That's where we find our endless supply of, of the comfort and the strength that we need to face anything. Let's hold on to this image together. Right? When you plant yourself, when you plant yourself in God's loving ways, and notice I don't just say God's love. These psalms are going to be about God's loving ways. When you plant yourself in God's loving ways, it doesn't matter what comes your way in life, what challenges lie ahead, what your, what your day holds, how messy things may look. You are rooted in those ways that show you again and again God's love. And so when others are, are chasing success and activity and money, you'll know that happiness in God's way is being anchored in a community of faith. When others are, are really only interested in looking out for themselves, you'll know that God's ways are about looking out for the whole community. When others are judging and criticizing one another and always assuming the worst, you'll be encouraging and listening and caring for the good because that is God's way. Psalm 1 invites us to ask this question, where are you rooted? Where am I rooted? Are you rooted in the world or are you rooted in God's ways? And then the, the psalm gives us one more image to say, here's how you can know if you're rooted. Because those that are, that are not rooted, they're like shaft that the wind blows away. I, I grew up in town, but small town, 3,500 people, so there were farms all around us. Uh, for you city folk, I just want to make sure you understand, chaff is... Uh, uh, chaff is the like the husks of the of the of the corn. It's the uh, uh, it's the the outer shell of the wheat that cracks off. Uh, essentially, chaff is what happens when the combine goes through the field, and you see all that dust. Well, some of that's dust and dirt, but uh, but the rest of that is just it's just the stuff that blows away after you bring in the fruit of the harvest. And if any of you are like me, when uh, when the chaff starts to blow around, you close your windows because you can't breathe anymore. Right? Chaff is the anger that becomes hurtful and blows into the lives of others. Chaff in our lives. It's the negativity that, that fills the air and, and gets, gets directed and blown wherever the cultural winds are, are breezing at the moment. Chaff the desires that, that we have that get pointed at the next thing that promises to fulfill our lives, the next thing other than God that we turn to. Chaff is the, the hopelessness that invades and, and spreads in our world. Right? If we're not planted in God's ways, chaff is the result. And here's the good news. Every day we get to choose 
Every day we get to, to make this choice. Will we stay rooted or will we blow where the wind takes us? Will we act in the ways of God or will we just read and speak but live as though only, only I matter or only the people close to me matter? But if we choose to be rooted deeply, God says that's when we'll experience the truest of happiness. Well, the alternative is withering and, and dying and blowing in the winds of the hurts and the anger and the denial and the pain in the world. On our, uh, on our summer vacation, uh, we went on a hike, Cheryl and I and Noah and, and Ella, into a pretty remote area. We didn't see a single hiker on this trail. It'll give you an idea of, of how remote it was. Our, our guide, his name was Kevin, he was amazing. Uh, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse and we have to like take to the woods to save ourselves and live off the land, uh, you're welcome to come with me. I'm going to go find Kevin because Kevin knows everything about every plant that God has ever created. Um, he knows which ones you can eat and which ones you can't. He even showed us how you can scrape the bark off like, like the moose do and then eat um, and get nutrients out of the, uh, the bark of a tree. Like this guy, it was, he was brilliant. Uh, anyway, that's really secondary. Where was I, <laughs> right? Uh, on our hike, we saw these beautiful clones of aspen trees. A clone is a, is a group of aspen trees. Um, and they're actually all connected in a single root system. And um, they're actually in reality a single organism because they're all connected together. And these aspens, because they're up on the tundra, um, and, uh, and because underneath is a permafrost, like you could literally dig down and feel the permafrost a couple feet down, the roots can't go very deep. So instead, they, they go into the ground, and then they bind together, and then together they wrap around each other, and they'll go and find from there a source of water, Right? And the really cool things about these aspen trees is um, they live forever. And even if a fire comes through and, and essentially burns the trees themselves, very seldom can a fire get hot enough because the roots are grounded in, a, in streams of water to actually damage the roots. And so the aspens are often the first trees to pop back up and through because there's still life within this connection that they have and that source of life that they're anchored into. Kevin, while we were on this hike, he dug into the base of the trees. And uh, it's a little hard to see in this picture, but kind of right in the middle, uh, between and under his hand, you'll see like this little area that you kind of see white in that little area. And I think I've actually shared this before. It's, it's an organism, it's a, a fungus actually called mycelium. And uh, and this mycelium, it's, uh, it literally enables these trees through the root systems to talk to one another. And, and this, it just blows my mind. Trees fascinate me in this way. They, they literally talk to one another. So, for instance, let's say a, uh, let's say a tree is fighting off a beetle. Uh, and the beetle is harmful. And so the, the tree begins to release toxins to keep the, the beetle away. It then can use this network to tell the other trees what toxin is working to keep the beetle away, and we'll shoot that 
shoot that message through the mycelium and then through the roots to the other trees to tell them what's going on. Or let's say one tree has lots of water and, and nitrogen and it's overly healthy and the tree next to it gets sick. The healthy tree actually pushes its excess nutrients into the roots and from there the network transfers them to the sick tree to help it heal and get better. I th- as I said, I think I've shared, Suzanne Simard is the, one of the leading scientists of these discoveries, and she actually injected um, uh, essentially nuclear carbon into fir and birch trees and watched this happen, and watched the, the fir and the birch um, push the carbon back and forth during different seasons, uh, during d- different growth seasons in their lives. And in one more really amazing finding in these studies, when a tree dies, it actually pushes all of its nutrients down into the root system. These mycelium then uh, will carry it to other trees so that its last act is it pushes its life to help the rest of the trees around it flourish. It's fascinating stuff. Right? The forests, when you, when you walk through it, right, you see all this beauty and underneath There's this interconnectedness that allows it all to flourish. The aspen tree in particular, it can't live alone. Its root system is not deep enough by itself to live on its own. Instead, it has to link its roots to other trees. Psalm 1, it isn't a simple prescription for a happy life. It's not, hey, read God's Word and then you're, you're just good to go. It's, it's not that, that simple. But it is a powerful introduction to find the way of God and an invitation to root one's life in that way. Psalm 1 is an invitation to take our very ordinary selves, the, the selves that get broken sometimes and, and make mistakes sometimes, and to anchor ourselves into this network the church built and formed and guided by God's word and God's way to anchor ourselves into this network so that we can experience the happiness of God's world, of God's goodness, of God's kingdom. Psalm 1 is an invitation. Jesus invites you to root your life in God's love and grace. Psalm 1 is is an invitation repeated by Jesus. Root your life in me as your living water in my way. It's a choice. Where will you be planted? Where will you sink your roots? See, happiness won't last if we think we can ignore the world. Jesus wants you, wants us to be happy. Jesus wants us to grow in our relationship with him, to experience the joy that comes in his way of sacrifice and love. Jesus wants us to join our roots together to form a community that builds and feeds happiness to all of us. My prayer for us today is that we just begin by asking ourselves this question, where are we rooted Where are we rooted? 
So let me offer you an invitation this week. I want to invite you to go for a walk each day. Walks are good for the soul. And as you go for a walk wherever you are, I want you to find a tree along your walk. And at that tree, I want you to just pause. And I want you to think about that question of where you are rooted and just pray this one-line prayer each and every day as you encounter that tree. Lord, help me to be rooted in you. Simple words, simple prayer. Each day, just find a tree and share those words. Lord, help me be rooted in you. Let's pray. God, you, uh, you give us this invitation today. You want us to be happy. You want us to, to experience the, the best that you have to give. And God, in Jesus, you, you showed us that way. So God, for, for those today who are ready to say, we want, I want to dig my roots into you, just help them surround them right now with your presence. Help them to know that your, your love, your living water is always there, always available to each and every one of us. And God, through your, your words this day, the, the words of the Bible, the, through your church, just help us to stay rooted. Help us to stay connected to you as the source of our life. Help us to stand on the promises of Jesus and follow the way of Jesus and experience the goodness and the joy to keep bringing hope to our world, to stand in the, in the storms of the judgmental nature of our world today and the criticism and the, and the pain and the struggle and the hurt and say, God, we know a better way a way of sacrifice and love. May we be rooted in you, in Jesus Christ. Amen.